1: Hey guys, we've received lots of questions in the Facebook group about choosing a career or changing from one industry to another, whether you should, how to do it, and when is the right time? So we've gone to the market, we've found the experts, and we have a series of industry spotlights to help you make this game-changing decision. Who doesn't love a good bonus app?
2: Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR professional.
1: And I'm Emily Bowen and I work for Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. Hey, Shelley.
2: Hey, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) Always good to have you here. (laughs) We've also got with us James Callender and Hannah Barry. Hey, guys. Hello.
0: Hello. How are you going?
1: Really well, thank you. So today we're talking all things finance and accounting and we have two gurus in you, James and Hannah. Uh, I'm getting some funny looks, but we're <laughs> going to fake it till we make it. Can we kick open with a little bit about each of you just to give us a sense for who we're talking to, build a bit of street cred? Uh, and I'm keen to know not only what you're doing now, but what did you want to be when you grew up?
3: Okay. I am Hannah Barry and I am a manager at PKF Newcastle, which is an accounting and business services advisory firm. Um, in terms of what I wanted to be when I grew up, I actually wanted to be an architect, um, but obviously my lack of creative inspiration led me back down towards a more realistic pathway of being account. <laughs> Lady of strength, <laughs> yes, as right, they say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Classic. James Calendar. I work for NIB Health Funds as an acquisition manager, actually. What I wanted to be when I grew up, I was looking at my yearbook, actually. Why my parents got me to record this from the age of six, I don't know. But it generally was based off my favorite family member at the time. (laughs)
1: Wow. So
0: I've got quite a diverse, uh, I guess, recording of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it has all things from a firefighter, naturally, uh, a tugboat driver. A
2: tugboat driver. Yeah, very <laughs> Novocastrian. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. uh, there was also a waterproofer in there because I really enjoyed spending time with <laughs> my uncle. uncle. Very, very random. There was a physiotherapist that popped its head up. And that's in fact where all of my subjects were aligned throughout my junior and senior high school years. And then randomly accountant, which is what my mum was (laughs) or still is.
1: So she came out on top. She did
0: come out (laughs) on top. Yes.
1: That's awesome. And then interestingly, so we should jump into that connection between what did I want to be when I grew up, what you started studying and and where you are now. Because what I'm hearing, we've got one person who works for, I mean, is it too traditional to say a chartered accounting practice? Someone will slap me for calling it that in PKF, Um, but we can talk more about that later. And then... Acquisition manager, which sounds, I mean, I wouldn't even know that that was in the finance and accounting industry or that that was a career path. So let's now step through to did you guys study the same thing? Did you study something
3: different? What was the next step? I mean, we both studied commerce at, at university. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I studied commerce. I saw accounting as almost my trade uh, into business. So I saw accounting as giving me good skills, uh, good exposure, and a good Basis that I could then uh, step from, use that as a platform into the wider industry of business.
2: That's interesting, James. That you say you saw it as your trade. Did you always have a view when you started studying that you would move out of accounting and just use that as the initial platform? Yes, I did. Right, most
0: certainly. And I was uh, purposeful in my decision of choosing commerce and not business. So I knew I wanted to go into business, but I saw the skills that I could get out of accounting and the foundational understanding of what makes a good business and how to keep a business successful. And the commerce degree is actually quite flexible in terms of the subjects that you can choose as electives to complement the core courses around accounting, finance.
2: I lo- that's great to know about, I, I guess you're probably more interested in financial and business performance than, than I suppose the technical aspects of uh, finance and accounting. Is that different for you, Hannah, your experience and your kind of career journey as you think through uh, what you wanted to do after your study?
3: Not really, actually. I suppose my mantra has always been, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, I
2: like that mantra. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Isn't it good? I mean,
2: I think I should adopt that.
3: <laughs> feel free, feel free. We're all going back yeah. to do a
1: commerce degree if that's where yeah. it gets us. Yeah, that's
3: right. Yeah. yeah, so I suppose it was really about creating options but also still being able to access work that energised me. So the fact that particular, as Em mentioned, I work in a traditional chartered firm. So the intensity, the pace, the diversity of work, that's what energises me. Yeah.
1: And can we unpack, I mean, we're going to end up sort of doing a compare and contrast here, I think, as we jump from one person to the other and get a lay of the land in regards to what your career paths have looked like. We've got you here because they are different, albeit they seemingly started very similar, uh, because you also spent a bit of time in that chartered accounting or that sort of public practice space. James, what has your journey looked like?
0: I did. I spent five years in fact uh, in public practice and I was very thankful for my first employer who took a chance on me and offered me an accounting traineeship despite the fact that all of my subjects were aligned to health. Uh, So I was classic chemistry, biology, PDH, PE all the way through my studies And when I made the decision that business or particularly accounting was going to be for me, I had quite an old school approach. And maybe this was as a result of having a conversation with my mum. In fact, I went through the yellow pages and identified. You don't
1: look that old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I circled a number of firms that I thought I could send my resume to and I typed out a cover letter and a resume and I posted them in a big yellow envelope out to about 36 firms locally and that's how I entered the industry and I was really thankful for being able to put into practice uh, what I was learning at university and knowing that I was practising more at work at a faster pace than what I was learning at uni and I thought that was a really great opportunity.
1: And so take us then from there to acquisition manager with uh, NIB.
0: Yeah, most certainly. So I spent five years in public practice and I knew that I wanted to work for a big corporate. And I wasn't quite ready to leave Newcastle yet. I had my fingers in many community pies, as I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later on. But the biggest corporate that I could find in Newcastle was NIB. And I had previously worked with uh, their chief financial officer and deputy CEO, Michelle McPherson, for an event that I was holding. And she spoke quite passionately about that organization. So I went out on a limb and I applied for maternity leave contract, leaving my full-time role. And that was my entrance into the finance team at NIB. And as I mentioned earlier, Shell, I knew that accounting was going to be my base or my platform to move into business. So I reached out internally to see what other opportunities were available for some entry-level, I guess, sales and marketing or operations-based role. So I moved into a coordinator role and then eventually into an acquisition manager role. Uh, and what I do in this role is I... I look after a series of strategic partners that NIB has, and when I reflect, that was the area of my role in public practice that I really enjoyed the most, which was spending time with clients, understanding uh, their opportunities and challenges, and delivering value at the nexus of both of our businesses. So that's what I do on a day-to-day business now.
2: I want to just pause on something James has just said, and I don't know if like already reading my mind, but we're going to get back into finance. But just for a moment, if you're listening, James has done a few things in his career journeys thus far that are all about what we're about on this podcast, which is taking initiative. I love even how you took the plunge for a maternity, like potentially six months, 12 month job, giving up a permanent job. There's risks in what you've done, but all of that has then got you to where you are, those networks you've built, the initiative you've taken. So Hats off to you because that's really what we're trying to drive here at the podcast. It's
1: so true. Even the handing out the resumes and cover letters without a job ad posted early on, you know, 36 different companies, then the community involvement, which we've heard a little bit about, and then that internal networking, the proof is in the pudding. Like we're now hearing a story where you've talked about commerce and finance and then sales and marketing and then business partnerships and a strategic sort of direction setting or at least being a part of that, it's a really good example.
2: Love it. So, Han, you have actually, and I should just say because you are superwoman, your baby is 10 weeks old at the time of this recording. Yeah. And so you're using your maternity leave to just come and hang out with us, which we love. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I love mamas who are doing their thing let's get back to finance now for a moment. We digress. <laughs> the photos will come out in a second. I know, I can't wait. I'm just like, <laughs> hurry up, let's get through this so I can just look at all the photos. Okay. So tell us what you think in terms of, is now a good time to get into the industry to make a start maybe, or, or even to stay in that industry?
3: What are you seeing? Absolutely. I think it's, the way it went, I suppose thinking about this is it's such an interesting time to actually enter the industry. I think if you reflect on or think of what a stereotypical accountant might look like to most people, you think of a dark room in the back of an office that, you know, nobody really wants to go and visit. It's quite the opposite now in terms of and especially with COVID in mind everyone has really come to realise the importance and urgency and need to have a good business advisor. And I suppose to give the example of if you think of big business and why big business succeeds, they've got access to knowledge, intel, et cetera, whereas small business is often a one-man band, you know, trying to wear six different hats what I think people are coming to realise is that they actually can't viably wear all those six hats and run a a business. Um, So, what people are starting to do is look for that knowledge or that resource, but in in a budget that they can afford. So, what they do is actually turn on or turn off that resource by coming to a firm where they can have that. So, I suppose in terms of entering the the industry you actually have this ability to act as if you're in a big business but you're actually accessing multiple little businesses and there's that real closeness to the client so that feeling or sense of satisfaction of really helping and making a difference.
1: And I hate this question but I'm about to ask it I hate it almost as much as I hate what music are you into Uh, do you have any hobbies but what does a typical day look like for you in that business advisory And maybe if you don't mind sharing with us, you know, if we go back to the everybody thinks that an accountant sits in front of a spreadsheet and doesn't want to be bothered, doesn't want to have the people kind of component to what they do, that's changed and you are a perfect example of that. I know that well. Do you mind just doing a little bit of a dive into what a normal day looks like and maybe bust some of those myths for us?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose in terms of what our day looks like day to day, I suppose mostly it's spending time on the phone. So it's not only spending time on the phone to help our clients with their questions off the cuff, but it's also guiding them to where they need to be. So it's providing them with the insights that they don't even know they need yet. Um, So it's navigating their direction of their business. So generally, and my my partner said this um, as part of being in COVID and working from home, he said, "Do you ever actually work? You just spend the whole day on the phone." <laughs> so it's not—it's definitely spreadsheets. I mean, I, I spend my whole life in spreadsheets. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, but it's more being a face or a person who can translate something—a bunch of numbers—into something that a client can then go and do something about.
2: And. I'm keen to know, you, you've you talked, uh, Hen, about the business advisory side, which I think is really good for anyone listening, that you've got the technical function of, of actually, say, accounting, but then there's taking that insight, taking the data and transla- translating it into business insights. James, Hen, what are you guys thinking in terms of the skills, the capabilities that are needed now in the industry and into the future? What are you both seeing?
0: Communication is a big one. Absolutely. As Han just said, being able to have a conversation with somebody, understand what their challenges are, which is generally where we start. And then we look to discover the opportunities and being able to put that in in language that they can understand and they can act upon. So communication is key. Off the back of that, I feel, is collaboration, which is a new sexy word for teamwork. Um, Quite often, we look to surround ourselves with people that are good at what they do. So Hannah and myself uh, may not necessarily be HR professionals, but we know a little bit about accounting and finance. We may not be the best marketers or even when it comes to fixing our cars, we're not tradies. So (laughs) we know that we need to work with others who are good at what they do. So when you can collaborate, it enables you to get the job done in a much more uh, efficient way and you get a much more effective result. So collaboration and communication are my two big skills.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And on that piece as well, we have the privilege of um, seeing the back end of a lot of businesses. So finance is not something that people essentially put out there, you know, it's not, sexy or um, it's, it's quite confidential really. But what we have are these insights from all different businesses. So, being able to apply that, um, like James said, apply that little bit of knowledge from all these different perspectives and then connect them with the solution regardless of whether or not it's our solution. I think that's where the business advisory piece really comes in.
1: So, both did a Bachelor of Commerce. Did that qualification set you up for success in this space and is it an essential qualification for somebody looking for a career in finance and accounting?
3: So in terms of my opinion it's perhaps a little bit jaded but I do see this we have a lot of graduates come to us uh, but I really don't believe that the commerce degree really sets you up to be work ready. I believe it exposes you to perhaps some opportunities that you could um, navigate your career towards but it doesn't set you up to be work ready.
0: I would agree and that's where I saw value in an accounting traineeship early on because it gave me the opportunity to learn those soft skills that are ever so important to complement the hard skills that you learn at university and I know we may get into networking a little bit later on but that is also a critical component in rounding yourself out as a professional because it is no longer just about the hard skills and it is in fact your soft skills that help differentiate you from the next applicant.
2: So good James and I'm just curious with what you said even that both of you said like quite similar thing of the degree doesn't necessarily set you up to be job or work ready What other things – so, Hannah, if you're thinking about the grads that you've come across, Hmm. what would you be saying to them maybe midway through their their degree, do this now to set you up for the
3: right job? Definitely get a traineeship. So, as James mentioned, that's the absolute best thing that you could do for yourself. It's what I also did. But it it makes not only uni a breeze. You literally turn up to uni and you already know everything you need to know, but it also – connects you to the real world. So it's really easy to rote learn something, pass an exam and get your certificate at the end of the day. Uh, But it doesn't set you up for work. This sets you up.
1: It's a bit of a hygiene factor. Like it feels like if you don't have it, you've got no chance as far as a qualification goes. You just have to have it. But it's it's not a ticker box, but it's a bit of like, it's just a bit like a baseline minimum.
3: And I suppose as well, it sounds a bit basic, but it's a reality is it gets you office ready. Mm-hmm. So often a school leaver will go straight from school to uni and then from uni, then go to work in an office. Something as simple as how to answer the phone, um, how to you know, navigate an office life. I think that this really helps you to get ahead in how to be office ready.
0: And to my earlier point around my early career progression, that was one of the catalysts for me choosing commerce over business because with a commerce Degree, uh, you can enter an accounting tra- an accounting traineeship at the age of eighteen. It's very rarely. Uh, do you be given opportunities to start a business traineeship straight out of university? Because it's hard to define that scope of responsibility. Whereas in commerce, it's very clear what an accounting trainee can start on and can work through. Mm. And as Hannah said, it is it gives you an opportunity to kickstart your career and become more mature in the office and the real work environment, which is where we're now seeing in tertiary education, more work integrated learning opportunities because the industry And the tertiary institutions have identified that as a gap.
1: What about a CPA or CA? So that's something that anybody looking into this career may have heard of. Is that relevant both to a career path like yours, Hannah, and to yours, James? Or does that start to create variation?
3: I would think it is relevant. I know if you're to go into a traditional accounting role, it's an expectation that you will have one of either the CA or the CPA.
0: And in my experience, I studied my Bachelor of Commerce and following what the university, uh, I guess, promotes or suggests you do, I actually started my CA journey and I didn't complete it. And that was probably one of the first things when it came to my professional development that I made a conscious decision, I do not wish to continue with this. And in fact, I have supplemented that with a number of short courses around subject matters that I wanted to learn about at that point in time and that I felt would help me sharpen my game in my job at that time or would help me obtain the next role that I was aspiring to.
2: And it's interesting, like you, you can either go deep on that technical function, go into your CPA or CA, or you can create what you, what I think you've done, James, of the breadth of experience. And so if you are listening, keep that in mind as you're navigating your study in in your bachelor degree and then what you do from there. James, we have a lot of listeners who really struggle with decisions like that,
1: though. They, they get stuck in... Um, a bit of a panic or just a bit of a fear of, am I making the right decision? With your hindsight and therefore wisdom, do you have any piece of advice or any insight you can offer into how you made that decision? Maybe it wasn't difficult for you at the time, but if it was, what that looked like?
0: What I used to make myself feel more comfortable with the decision was I started to leverage my networks and I started to explore people who had roles that I thought I would like to do in the future and what qualifications did they have. And so LinkedIn is a great tool for that. I could be exploring anybody from the C-suite all the way down to entry-level roles and the breadth of opportunities in the middle. And I really took some time to explore what qualifications did they have, what institutions did they study at, and therefore was the Chartered Accounting qualification the right one for me? Was it going to help me gain or to proceed through the career path that I was looking for?
1: Love that. Hey, um, we might take a break. I feel like we've laid uh, a really nice foundation for what this industry and what some of the career paths are all about. When we come back though, we might put the icing on the cake. So, we'll look ahead at trends. We'll look at uh, a little bit further at these extracurriculars that we've started to touch on and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Nice. Nice money property careers health small business we love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life that's why we've made podcasts focused on a variety of topics check out my millennial money my millennial money express my millennial property my millennial health my millennial business gen z money and you to me U to you you to us which is just about sexual and reproductive health find these wherever you're listening to this podcast That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: And we're back. And now we're going to talk about trends. So before this, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about what's coming up in the industry in by way of automation, what we're going to see, particularly in, in the accounting space. And we had someone on the show, Julian Waters-Lynch, who talked about, Uh, the more algorithmic your role is, the more likely it is to be automated. So, I'm keen to hear from you. I think this is something you're particularly passionate and interested in. What is the trends coming up in that space and what are we going to see in terms of automation in the finance industry?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We see in the industry that Basically, we call it gamifying accounting. Uh, So what we see is clients themselves are actually starting to take on those roles. Clients or um, computers are taking on the more data entry roles. So the likes of your accounts payable, bookkeeping, et cetera. So what that means is if your aspiration is to go into accounts payable or bookkeeping or whatever, you really do need to keep that in mind because like you said, those automated or those repetitive tasks are being easily automated. And it sounds corny, but it is being gamified. Clients really do love pressing that okay button in the reconcile screen. So, I think in terms of that, it's something that's starting there, but it's going to the next level as well. So, there are software programs out there that are starting to write these, let's call it business advisory reports, where it's it's kind of one of those scenarios where it's like, if this, then that. So, in terms of looking at trends and what's coming up in the accounting industry. Simply being a good accountant is not enough. Uh, You can't simply just present a set of numbers and expect that a client will sit there and nod politely because in reality, their background is not accounting. They're, They're not necessarily versed in what we can see so in terms of trends you have to actually be able to see what's happening in those numbers apply uh, the conversations that you've been having with the client about the real world what they can implement so in terms of what's expected from say an accountant now you actually have to be able to translate that information into something meaningful uh, with what they can take action with.
1: And PKF, albeit uh, you're a part of the Newcastle and Sydney-based business, it is an international firm. Is that something that's on your organisation, on PKF's radar and something that they're, I guess, changing roles, recruiting differently? How are you seeing it impact your work world?
3: Yeah, definitely. It's it's all about problem solving now and finding solutions for our clients so the way that we uh, approach our client work it's actually all centered around goals so we talk with our clients and understand what it is that they're trying to achieve and then we're purely using the financials as a way of measuring it same as what you would do so if you're going to the gym you say i want to lose i don't know 10 kilos whatever it may be so we know that's the goal and then what we do using that insight where um, because we have that, that back-end insight into all the different businesses, we then implement or work with them to create strategies and actions that they can implement. And then the let's say we, cap, we review what they've put in place over three months and measure that using the financials to do that.
2: There's so much in what you're saying that is translating the financials to actual business insights and actionable uh, changes. James, I'm curious from your perspective – One of the challenges that I've seen for some finance people who've been in the industry a long time is that they find it difficult, and you mentioned communication being a really important skill, they find it difficult to maybe communicate in a way that the business readily grasps and understands. So me, a non-finance person, if I can get lost in, I don't understand what they're talking about and how can they make that a bit more simple for me to just grasp, what is it? that young person coming into this industry can do to avoid that pitfall of not being able to kind of translate finance to business performance?
0: For a person entering this industry, be they young, mature, I think the best place to start is to ask questions and to not go in with any assumptions. And by asking a question, it could be, what is your goal? What are your challenges? listening to the way that that client, that person, that professional, that stakeholder responds to you gives you great insight into the level of understanding and the vocabulary of that person and it enables you to respond in such a way that they will understand. That is, I guess, the quickest way to avoid some of the major pitfalls. In terms of some of the minor pitfalls I would say diversifying one's reading. So if you are looking at an industry, so for example, in insurance, we have business partners in our finance team. So previously they were known as accountants, then they went to commercial managers. Now they're known as business partners because we wheel them out into the areas of our organization where they can actually have conversations with people to understand those challenges and to look for the opportunities together using the language that is common to their stakeholders throughout the business.
1: One of the things we haven't called out uh, so far in this conversation that is, again, a difference between the two of you is that, James, you work internally. So, albeit I know that in your role as acquisition manager, you've got external stakeholders and clients, but you've also got, and particularly these finance business partners that you're talking about, their customers are internal and your customers are external, and yet the approach that it sounds like both of you take is identical, if not extremely similar would you agree with that? Yes. I would as well. Yeah, okay. Hey, um, let's shift gears now and let's talk about what uh, the two of you have done to build your careers external to your roles. I know that these people who it's kind of like, oh yeah, in all your spare time because <laughs> I love uh, this question. <laughs> <laughs> hello, overcommitters. committers <laughs> uh, Tell us about what your career has looked like as far as these, in inverted commas, extracurriculars go. Uh, James, with all that enthusiasm, maybe you should kick us off.
0: Oh, this is, this is the part of my day that I enjoy the most. Yeah. My journey on extracurriculars, I put them in two buckets. I've got a sport bucket and I am not very talented when it comes to hand-eye coordination. So my sport bucket is mostly things that I can either swim through or run on, okay? (laughs) No ball
3: catching. No ball catching. No anything. No. No team (laughs) sports. So
0: my fiancé is quite fearful for our children (laughs) in terms of how they're going to go at schoolyard sports, but we'll cross that bridge. (laughs) What about dancing? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But separate to my sporting bucket is my professional bucket. And this is where I get a lot of joy and this is the fuel to my... In internal fire, okay. And my extracurricular, my professional extracurricular journey started whilst I was at university. And myself and a mate co-founded a student association. And the reason we did that in within the confines of a bachelor of business and a bachelor of commerce is we saw lots of our other friends at university be in student associations, and for lack of a better word, we got a bit jealous that they could go to all of the parties and all of the events, and our our students didn't necessarily have anything to go to. So, we started a student association affectionately known as BizCom at the University of Newcastle. And Clever. that, yes, very original. And that was the catalyst for us to start trying things that we weren't given the opportunity to try in our day jobs and that we weren't learning throughout the hard course content of either a Bachelor of Business or a Bachelor of Commerce. So, BizCon was a great opportunity for me to get my hands dirty, set up an organization which was almost starting like my own little business, really. You got to do everything along the customer journey from sales, marketing, legal, finance, the whole kit.
1: Events management.
0: Events management. That's right. I do love a microphone and I did enjoy being up the front. (laughs)
2: And that's why we, partly why we've invited you today. Oh,
0: Thank you. I'll, take, yeah, that a, I'll <laughs> take that as a compliment. But then after BizCon, that's where Han and I, uh, I guess our paths crossed in you know, a wonderful organization called Hunt Young Professionals. And we led that for a number of years together. And even when Han and I reflect now, we get such... I call them the proud parent moments where we reflect on where this organization is and the opportunity that we had to try things together and have conversations with whether it was members of the community or senior stakeholders of organizations. And they were doors or conversations that would have previously not been open if it wasn't for The badges that we were wearing in our community organization. I don't say that from a leadership perspective, but just the fact that you were going out of your way to spend some time in a community organization, build a professional network. I found that a really valuable part of my career development and it helped me build a portfolio to make that jump from accounting and finance into the sales and marketing world because I had some skills that I was building in that space. Han.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such a soft way to get into being in business, if that makes sense. Um, I vividly remember one um, meeting we had with a sponsor who um, James and I were keenly walked in with what we thought was a really great proposal. And um, she was waiting there ready to tell us how it wasn't great. But she was really. And to our credit, uh, to her credit, sorry, sat there and told us why it wasn't good. And rather than you know being upset by that, James and I walked away, going, right, this is what we need to do to change our proposals altogether. And that actually transformed how we approached our sponsors. And I think it's such a, a nice way to learn those skills because it's such a gentle way to do it. And these these sponsors don't expect anything from you, and so to give you that advice and to be able to walk away with something is really valuable.
0: And networks are a great way to surround yourself with other like-minded individuals and so even to the point of people looking to enter the accounting and finance industry, if you're not in this industry at the moment, seek out those networks and those individuals that are already in that space. It could be a casual coffee, it could, go in, it could be going to a virtual or a physical event but that is a great way to try before you buy.
3: I think the other thing for me, and this is a self-awareness lesson I had to, to go through, uh, but being in the accounting bubble, you become very well-versed in how things operate. It's very structured and everything in your life and the way you're, you're thinking is very structured. So in this organization, we were on a board with other, like James said, like-minded people, but from totally different industries. So to have exposure to, say, creative people who uh you know, not running um, a constant pace with tasks and actions and things to do all the time, time sheets, time as sheets, absolutely <laughs> six minute intervals. No, but really, it really was such an eye opening experience, and to have them say to to us as a somebody who wants to continue to move through their career this doesn't work for me, was really eye-opening and it was a a self-awareness journey because I wasn't even aware of that. So the experience of not only the sponsors and the community engagement, but also the people around you um, who are willing to tell you those insights.
2: That's so good. Both of you have done so much over your career outside of just your normal day job. And I love that because I think it's really set you both up for a, a breadth and I love how, James, you said, your portfolio and so if we go back to one of the things that Emma and i've talked about of, as your career as a business thinking about it in a way of portfolio creating breadth so those extracurricular activities you're doing outside of your job then create further opportunity which we've seen for both of you and so we love uh being able to unpack that and i even i love so much hen when you said in the hunter young professionals context the stakes are a little bit lower than in employment So, you're free to make mistakes and have these really good learnings, but you're not at risk in terms of opportunities for promotions and so on. So, it is a great way to have those learnings, those fails that help grow your career and grow your experience. I'm going to jump into the next question now, and this is one of our fave questions we've loved in the industry episodes. What is a common misconception about working in the finance industry?
0: accountants are boring.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And
1: you've proved that wrong in the last
2: 30 minutes,
3: haven't you? (laughs) Hopefully.
0: Han, what do you think?
3: Look, I'm not going to lie. The six minute interval is a real thing. That's that's a thing. (laughs) Timesheets are everywhere in the accounting industry. Um, It's just a reality. You have to go with it. But in terms of misconceptions, I think the main one is that the financials are everything. The numbers are everything. Uh, But the misconception there is that they're actually the starting point. So that's not the finished product. That's not the outcome. That's just the starting point. I
0: would agree. And that goes for whether you're in public practice or corporate.
3: It's like the raw materials. Absolutely. It's the starting point for all the questions. You can start to poke and um, really get into things from there. Yep.
1: All right. We're going to bring this home with a piece of practical advice. But before we do that, you have achieved a lot. Both of you as Shelley um, so rightly gave you credit for, but – At the same time, you're just beginning your own careers. What does career progression look like? What are your options when you look ahead at what's next for each of you?
0: For me, it's important that I chart out what is ahead. So we were chatting earlier around the career progression of an individual isn't the responsibility of their manager. So it's important that I take some time to reflect on where I've come and where I would like to go to. And take stock of what the short term goals are or the short term steps to help me get towards my long term plan. I am a dreamer. I like to think of what it's going to look like in 10, 15 years' time, but I really need to spend time on thinking about the short to a medium term. And the way that I'm going to do that is through education initially so I've spent the last couple of years undertaking some short courses which help build out my artillery I guess of skills and I'm looking to continue that in a way that makes me more attractive as a professional but also a real thought leader and that's that's my goal irrespective of the role that I am in I would like to be considered a thought leader
1: and it sounds like you're going to retain that breadth there's not you know this return to a really hardcore or pure finance or accounting role for you James would that be fair to say
0: that is my plan and let's hope it works
3: <laughs> good i knew what about you han uh, for me, it's, I suppose, broadening my skill set, particularly in the sales side of things. So, in terms of my career trajectory, uh, the plan for me is to continue to move up the ranks to our business and become part of that ownership structure. So, um, for me to actually be a part of that, I need to be bringing in work as such. That's a, that's a big part of, say, in a traditional accounting firm. Um, so, to do that, you obviously can't just woo people with your incredible debits and credits. You have to (laughs) woo them with something a little bit more. So that's for me, it's really about the sales side of things, capitalizing on that networking experience that I do have and actually converting that into something. So it's not the balance sheet that gets you out of bed? Me, yes.
0: (laughs) But to Han's point, I also think it's about being verbal about your goals as well. I if I reflect, I at times may have succumbed to just internalizing what my goals were. And it's it's not the fault of one's leader that if they don't know where you'd like to go, that they can't keep an eye out for opportunities. So definitely putting out there like, I would like to be a CEO one day. And so when you actually verbalize it, people can go, okay, he's a fairly aspirational person. How can we make the most of that? And sometimes it helps just to say it out loud. Like Hannah's going, one day, I want to be a part of the ownership structure. Myself, I'd like to be a CEO one day. And therefore, the people who you surround yourself with can start to keep an eye out for those opportunities as well. Because four eyes, six eyes, eight eyes, and that goes for ears as well, is always better than two.
1: Well, when you guys hit the big time, we'll definitely have to have you back and do part two of this That's conversation. Right. <laughs> Bit of a retro. Yeah. We can find both of you on LinkedIn. I'll get a nod. I've got nods. Yes, Uh, you might want to check our show notes for the spelling of calendar as uh, James's surname because he (laughs) he does it wrong. Uh, Classic. (laughs) But otherwise, you guys are there, so um, you know you might end up with a few connection requests. But as we always say, guys, make sure you personalize those.
2: Nice. Well, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us, and. In three to five years' time, let's reconvene to see how you landed with those goals. <laughs> with the CEO <laughs> and the owner. Hopefully less than three years. Let's let's give yeah, ourselves 24 no months. <laughs> well, since
0: we both love the microphone so much, we'd love to share the journey with you.
2: Yeah, oh, There we go. I like what you've done there. Nice. Good spin. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening on Apple, we would love for you to subscribe and give us five-star rating and review. We love reading your feedback and comments and join the Facebook community, My Millennial Money, and submit your questions there. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks